Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, I was just thinking we could never we could never record on record the before hitting record button conversations. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> yeah, we we really talk about a wide variety of things before we ever hit record, and none of it has to do with with IBC or money, right. typically. No, uh, that's good. We got to catch up. We got to catch up. I'll see you in a few weeks in person. That'll be fun. That's right. Looking forward to it. Yep. Wedding coming up and uh, it's crunch time. Yeah. I got to book the hotel too. Now that you mentioned that. Yep. Get on it. Be a good time. Do that. Yeah. Well, all right, man. We need to burn through this because I got to get the football practice. Hey, let's start with the question like always. Yeah. You want to read it? Yeah, I'll read it. This question comes in from Kathy, who's a current client. Can you talk about policy loans? How do they work? Is the interest rate from the insurance company fixed? And how do you determine a payment plan? And the last part of the question is, can you take out more than one loan at a time, et cetera? So great question, bottom line, great series of questions here. There's multiple in, in this one entry from her, but yeah. So how, how do they work, Dave? So that's, that's kind of a broad a pretty, question. Yeah, pretty broad question. Um, but you know, first off, Kathy, thanks for the question. And I know we we talked about loans before you start executing on your policy, but these are the kind of questions like people evolve with their questions where they have a lot of questions about things before they get started. And then once they get started, new questions come to mind like, hey, I'm about to take a loan. Let's really dive into exactly how this works, even though they had a general understanding beforehand. That was sure. talk specific steps. So how do they work? Man, taking a loan is super easy. You get online, you say, here's how much I want, or it shows you how much you have available. You say, I want this much and um, send it to this bank account. And then a couple days later, maybe less, it shows up. So now when you take the loan, all that's doing, if you do, well, with the, with the companies that Paul and I work for, work with, not for, but we're right for, um, all that does when you take a loan, it just reduces the amount of loan that's remaining that you can have access to. Right, it doesn't actually reduce your cash value. So correct. So you got fifty thousand cash value in. You want to take a twenty thousand dollar loan. You're still going to get paid interest dividends on that fifty thousand. But if you take a twenty thousand loan, it just means you have thirty thousand remaining that you can take a loan against, all the way up to that fifty. Right. So and you can take out as many loans as you want. Um, so yes, more than one at a time. Absolutely, it doesn't really matter. It's like a line of credit. So if anybody's ever had a, a home equity line of credit. There's a pile of money in there. You take it out, you put it back at whatever frequency and rate you want. So that's really how it works. The loan repayment plan. So that's that's a very individualized conversation. So we look at a bunch of factors and that's why I like to talk to clients before they take a big loan for something like, hey, let's figure out how we repay this. So we could we could do a whole episode on loan repayment. And I don't, I don't think we have, have we? On how that works? No, no, no we haven't. Um, but that, that'd be a good topic to cover, I think. Yeah. So we should probably cover that one-on-one, -on -one, Kathy, but there's, you know, there's two schools of thought. One, set up a loan repayment plan that's automatic every single month. Uh, or two, 
if you're somebody like me who who works on you know, 1099 income, so every month is a little bit different, um, I just pay back big chunks at a time whenever I have more money than I need in my checking account to pay my bills. Anything over that, I just throw it back against a loan. Just chunk at it. Yep. Um, and then the final one is the interest rate from the insurance company fixed. So the answer is it depends um, on the insurance company and on what you choose when you set up the policy. Like with some insurance companies, you can choose a fixed rate. Say for one example, one company um, might say it's a fixed rate at 6% for the life of the policy. Now, the problem with that is if you go fixed rate, then it's going to be a direct recognition. Um, your policy will become direct recognition, meaning that they will recognize all the loans you take and will only pay out the full dividend on the amount that's not leveraged, um, which is a whole nother conversation, right? Uh, but in yeah. general, it's variable. So we recommend variable. It, it kind of fluctuates with, you know, historically kind of with the, the interest rates with, that the banks offer. It parallels yeah, it's that. Yeah, it's kind of just, you know, it, it's kind of from like the life insurance company's perspective, I think, you know, these with these new 7702 rules, you know, maybe the the loan rates in some of these policies are going to vary between zero and 8%, but no, not higher than 8%, right? And it really depends how they, you know, on the, on the when they determine the, the loan rate, it's kind of what's the opportunity cost for them on their current portfolio? Right. Can they do better than policy loan rate at 5%? You know, so it's it's going to depend on the things. Bottom line is, though, I don't care what the rate is because I don't control it. True. And you're going to utilize those regardless, utilizing cash value loans to fund big purchases or other expenses in life is going to outweigh paying cash for it or going to an outside financing source. Yeah, absolutely. And as yeah. long as... I would say, Kathy, as long as you understand what Dave just said, that is that is that is the why behind IBC, right? That's that's why yeah. we do this. Goes back to the principles of IBC, yeah, and why you would want to do it in the first place. Which you know, the numbers are 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 the numbers. They are what they right. are. You just rely on the principles and why you're doing it in the first place, and uh, and go from there. But thanks for those questions. Those are great. I love answering those, especially one on one yeah. with clients when they're looking to make a repayment plan and you know how am I going to do this. Um, yep. That's what we're here for. Bottom line, the most favorable lending terms you will ever encounter come from your life insurance company. Absolutely. Yep. And you are the only one that can make a change um, to that contract. It's a unilateral contract. Yep. So, all right, well, let's move on. I think today, I think we, we, we might get going on a series of, you know, just breaking down some financial myths. Some things, some conventional wisdom that people just accept as that's, you know, I hear it, I've heard it a hundred times, so it must be true. Um, you know, and one it's of all the very, over YouTube. Yeah, uh, of course. And it's a very popular thing. Uh, one of the current ones is the 401k millionaire. You know, hey, uh, I got a million bucks in my 401k, I'm a millionaire. So let's kind of break that down. Um, you know, it, it's kind congratulations. of congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. You, Look, what you've done at that point is you've shown a lot of discipline and consistency. So yep. you, you've been disciplined for several, probably decades to get to that point. Decades. And you've been consistent every single month, every single month, consistently putting that money away. So kudos, because without discipline and consistency, you'll you'll never get to a million dollars in anything, I'm sure, right. unless there's a little bit of luck. Maybe if you want to throw that in for some people. But yeah, so let's break down 401k, 401k millionaire. So Paul, you 
had a million dollars in your 401k. Are you a millionaire? On paper, I suppose. Yeah. But I like to say, and we're going to jump around here, folks, but you know, I think I got this from, from Trent a couple of years ago is, you know, what is the value of a dollar you can't spend? <laughs> Zero. Right. It's kind of yeah. like home equity. Well, yeah, I've got this million dollar home that's paid off, but I have to go to a bank to tap the equity in it. Right. So it's dead money. Well, if I'm not 59 and a half or, you know, being able to take advantage of the rule of 55, if I was a government employee and then I, anyway, well, great. Yeah. I got a million dollars in my 401k. I can't do anything with it until I'm 59 and a half. And then I'm going to pay taxes. If it's not a Roth style plan, I'm going to pay tax. Right. Okay. So let's talk about taxes. You know, I would say most people are probably somewhere in the 20% range when they yeah, retire. Yeah, 15 to 20. Sure. Sure. So let's just say 20% range. You have a million dollars in a 401k. How much spending power do you actually have today? If I were to take it all out? Sure. Well, I guess. Well, I you guess would, would be you'd be way out of the 20% tax bracket. So. Right. No, let's just. <laughs> Just factor in, say taxes are going to stay the same for the rest of your life. You're going to pay 20% taxes on your income for the rest of your life. Your spending power is 800000 800000 sure. Right. Okay. So are you, are you really a millionaire? No. No. I mean, you, you, have, you have a million bucks in your 401k, like you said, on paper. It's like having a million dollars of equity in your home. You're a millionaire on paper. But I... It doesn't really change. I mean, uh, when you hit that million dollar level, did you all of a sudden, Paul, wake up one day and be like, oh my gosh, I'm a millionaire. I'm rich. And you started acting differently? No, no, actually, not. that's not how, that's not how it works. You know, I, this brings up a different idea for me, Dave, is I don't really care. You know, that, that's a net worth calculation. Right. Right. Well, so let's talk, what is net worth? Because so it's a lot of people don't understand what that is, and that's fine. I, you know, I didn't at one point in my journey either. So sure. let's just break that down. What's net worth? Sure, you know, it's a it's a dollar amount um, that you you take all of your assets, less your liabilities. Your primary home is not an asset. Well, you're talking uh, for accredited for a cre investor. Yes, if let's we just talk it, Ron, just Ron straight numbers. up net worth. Yeah, Ro yeah, straight up net worth. It's, it's it's how much you know assets minus liabilities. That's it. And what that's are, it. what are assets? So assets are anything you own that's of value. That's right. So you have, you know, a lot of people have car, used cars that are worth more than they paid for them right now. So that might be something that could add to your net worth or they're paid for. So there's, there's value there. There's boats, there's, there's private property, there's jewelry, there's real estate, there's um, bonds, stocks, mutual funds, insurance policies, of course. Yep. Those would cash value life insurance policies, right? Those yeah. would all be part of your net worth. And liabilities would be debts. So debts. anything you owe. So let's say you you have a house and the market value. So when you, you calculate your, your net worth and one of your assets is your primary residence, if you own a home, um, you take not what you paid for the home, but what the current market value is of that home. So if you've lived in your home for 10 years, you know, your market value has climbed significantly, most likely. So you take market value minus what's remaining on your mortgage and everything in between that is, is the net worth essentially, right? What it's yeah. worth minus what you owe. Yeah. Your, your equity in the home becomes your, that, that would go to your net worth calculation. Yep. That's a positive. Yeah. Okay. So that's net worth. Um, and you were talking, we were talking, let's bring that back to, to where we started. You said net worth's kind of a, a, a useless number. Yeah, I mean, I, 
And people are going to say, well, I'm an accredited investor. It means I could do all these other things. Like, yes, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, what I'm talking about is, okay, so you're a 401k millionaire. How much monthly income is that providing you right now? Right. And if you are 59 and a half and able to start your, your, uh, your drawdown plan or your Monte Carlo simulation or whatever you're using to, to live on, because well, you're stopped, you've stopped laboring. So, okay, you're taking out 4% a year out of a million bucks. Well, if the market didn't do anything that year, all right, you took out 40 grand. Right. That doesn't sound great for a millionaire, does it? I don't know. So let's just say, as an example, let's say you're a real estate investor and you own 10 single family homes and you have a, a combined equity amongst all those homes, you've owned them for a number of years, and you've got, say, $3 million of equity in those homes. Now, that $3 million, that makes you a, a multimillionaire, right? Yeah. Technically. But yeah. what really matters, what really matters is how much you're making every month. Like, That's right. if you had $3 million of net worth, but it's locked up somewhere that you can't touch and you can't access, you can't liquidate it easily, um, you could have that, or you could have, say, a $200,000 net worth, but a monthly income of $5,000. Like, which one's more valuable? Like, I'm taking the income, because the income is something I can actually spend. I can't spend the net worth. That's right. I can't finance my life with net worth. Nope, you need income. You so need I, income. I like people that really, um, and especially in our circle where they talk about, where they talk about income. Yeah, net worth comes up in conversation, but income um, and, you know, passive income or, you know, income that you're actively, you know, you're actively involved in, in rentals, right? So you're getting, you're getting income off those things. That's what really matters. Cause like you said, that's, that's what you can spend. That's what could pay your mortgage. That could pay for your car, your kid's education or whatever it is, pay your taxes. Is right. Income. So when people have this idea of, Hey, once I hit $1 million in, in my IRA or my 401k, I can retire. Well, what does that even mean? What does a million dollars even mean to you? Really, how you and I view this, Paul, is, hey, once I hit a certain monthly income threshold with my investments, my passive investments, um, or you know, residual income somewhere, then I can stop working. Regardless of what I've accumulated in that point, all that matters is how much I'm able to bring in every month or every year to live off of. That's the most important thing. So if somebody says like, let's talk 4% rule, right? That, that, that famous 4% rule, which means that you should be able to take out 4% of your total retirement fund every single year to live off of and have a 95% chance of, of going the rest of your life and never running, running out of money. So the fact is 4% is way too much anymore. And I think almost every expert, not that I trust all the experts, but you know, it's been it's become pretty common that people are like, yeah, 4% is a little high. Let's, let's shoot for 3%, the 3% rule now. Right. So if you have a yeah. $1 million 401k, what does that mean for you in retirement, Paul? 30 grand a year. You can take out 30 grand a year. So is 30 grand a year, $2,500 a month, really what, uh, is that what you need to retire? And if it's not, if you need double that, then you need to be shooting for a $2 million, $2 million 401k if that's your route to retirement. Right. I think, you know, kid, people our age have gotten used to hearing the term millionaire. And yeah, it, 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 it really meant something in the 1980s. Yeah, right. But, you know, 
in 2022, you know, knocking on the door 2023, I'm sorry. That is just not, relatively speaking, right? It's still a lot of money, but it is not a lot of money. Right. Right. Yep. It's It'll only get you so far. It certainly doesn't doesn't stretch like it used to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just ask yourself the simple question: Can I live off thirty thousand dollars a year? Right. Well, hey, but you got Social Security. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's gonna, yeah. It's not gonna run out of money either. It'll be perfectly fully funded for the rest of my life. Perfect. Yeah. Well, so let's say you have another fifteen hundred from Social Security. So uh, per month. So was that eighteen thousand dollars a year? Um, plus the thirty. Yep. So now you're talking forty-eight. Can you live off forty-eight thousand dollars a year? I know I can't. Uh, well, maybe you probably don't I... have a mortgage, right? If you played it, you know, okay, the way they tell you to play it, you don't have a mortgage. So you know your kids are out of the house. You don't have any more kids, ideally, and really no big no big expenses. So, but even so, forty eight thousand dollars not going to get you very far in this world. Not today. no, and then the value of forty eight thousand dollars twenty years from now, thirty years from now, forty years from now, when we are old men. You know, it, I'm going to exaggerate here because I always like to do it. It's going to be like a loaf of bread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really will be uh, if we're going at the rate we're going right now. Um, so we did a little research here, and um, I found, according to Fidelity, less than 2% of the Fidelity 401ks have over a million dollars. So is, you know, the 401k millionaire a myth? No, because there are some 401k millionaires. Right. But how much do you got to be putting away every single year? I, I haven't done that math to reach a million dollars. I can tell you when I was a young officer, I got showed this this bar graph that showed, you know, I think it was, I want to say it was $250 a month, which was the most you could put into a, a Roth IRA at the time. This was the early 2000s. You know, basically putting 250 a month away for, 40 years was going to turn into a million bucks. Yep. And they used what kind of compounded rate of return on that? You know, I'd have to, I'd have to go back. Was it 10 or 12? It was probably I, 10. I, yeah. It's probably 10. People like to use a, a nice round and number. It, at the time I was like, oh yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. Right. That's nothing. Great. Well, let's see. You it's and not I even were, close. It wasn't even close, Dave. No, not even close. So you and I were born around the same time. So you know, let's call it 1980 plus or minus a couple of years. Um, so in the year 2000, at the turn of the century, beginning mm -hmm. of the 21st century, if we go back and look January 1st, 2000 to the end of just last month, the end of September uh, 2022, the annualized stock market return, S&P 500 in the 21st century to date was 4.2%. You know, it's not 12, like what's his face always says? It's 4.2%. Now, if you reinvested your dividends, yep. then it, it climbs to a mass of 6.2%. Okay. And then that's gross of fees. So let's explain gross of fees and net of fees. Because I asked right. my mom a couple of years ago, like, hey, can you give me a, a printout of your, your portfolio? And she asked her financial guy, they sent it to her, and all the numbers were gross of fees. And I said, hey, I don't really care about this. This means nothing. Can you right. ask them for net of fees? And no kidding, net of fees was about half of what gross of fees was. It was, it was eye-opening. So 
gross of fees just means they haven't taken any fees into account or taxes. Right. It's just, this is what the market did. That's it. It's not what your port, your, your portfolio doesn't do what the market does because what does your portfolio include? Fees. Fees. And when you take that money out, what else does it include? Tax. Tax. So those are two things that make a massive, massive difference and have a huge impact on the performance of your personal portfolio. Um, yeah. And, and that's uh, as something, as somebody who did, you know, mutual and fund investing for a good part of my, my adult life, I can tell you with certainty that I, those numbers are, are spot on. I remember being very surprised once I did the math myself of what I actually had put in versus what I actually had, mm -hmm. you know, with the, with the amount of years that I had it going. And I was, yeah, I was pretty shocked. Yeah. It wasn't like you were told as a young officer, it would be unfortunately. It, even, it was, yeah, it was, it was half that. Right. So, and that's about the time that you and I started investing, you know, around 2000, start of the 21st century uh, yep. in college or leaving college, actually getting a real, uh, a, a, a paycheck twice a month, um, steady paycheck. We could part, start putting money away uh, consistently. Yeah. So had I been doing that, um, yeah, uh, let's just say I'm glad I, I didn't do that for too long. I did that. I actually got mixed up um, with one of those big firms that, that markets exclusively to the military. They put me into a front-loaded fund. Because yeah, they told we me have over the, the same, we yeah, had the same thing. They said over the life of the fund, you'll only pay about two percent in fees over the whole life. And I was like, oh, cool. I guess that sounds really low. I'm an idiot. Here's my money. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and um, turns out, you know what I missed on the compound growth of that front load, the fifty percent I gave up for the first right. year, what that could yep. have turned into. That's called opportunity cost. Yep. And what happened about five years later after I did that, I got a check in the mail because there was a class action lawsuit. Yep. And they sent me a check for 300 bucks. Like, right. hey, here you go. Here's 300 bucks. We're sorry. Oh, but they gave, they gave me an offer though. They said, hey, you could either cash this check or you could tear it up and have $300 worth of free financial guidance from us or $300 value of, you know, one-on-one -on -one financial. I'm like, I thought that was free in the first place. I thought I could come to you anytime and, and talk about my finances. But, you know, so that's one of the rules. They try to keep your money for as long as possible, right? They don't want to see that money go away. Right. Yeah. So same, that was, was eye-opening. Yep. And, you know, part of my journey that uh, had I known what I know now, would have been a lot different. But it is what it is. We learn as we go. Same. Yeah. Um. So you you dug up some the average four hundred one k balances from what Vanguard? Yeah, these are from Vanguard, and you know so, I see this on on YouTube with these different channels and Instagram. People post this kind of data, and I don't want to do, I don't want to beat it to death here, but I just thought it was interesting. So I'm just going to go the average four hundred one k balance by 60, age sixty five plus two hundred and seventy nine thousand bucks. Okay, but that could be an eighty-year-old who's taken, you know, spent fifteen years of it down, right? So, right, fifty-five then, to sixty-four, two hundred fifty-six thousand dollars. Right. Now, most likely, haven't spent started spending it down, or, right. or just started to spend it down, right? Right. 
So we could look at this in, in one of two ways. One, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Only $256,000 of their entire retirement savings is in a 401k. Right. I'm afraid that's most, not, that's probably not the case, right? Most likely the truth is that is where most, the people that are in this type of plan, most of their net worth is that 401k and the equity in their primary residence. Right. Yep. So the typical American, right? The average American man or woman that that is them. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had 256,000 in a 401k and the other 744,000 of your million dollars was in some other vehicle, like dividend paying life insurance or real estate, um, rental property or something, real estate, rental property. great. I'd say you're in good shape. Yeah. You're probably in good shape, right? Cause yeah. that's providing a much bigger income than had it all been in this 401k. But yeah, like you said, those, those numbers, you know, if, I mean, if, if this advice is so good, why are, why are there not very many 401k millionaires? I don't know, but these other financial channels that I'll, they'll, I'll, I'll, they'll be on the right side on YouTube and I'll just click them. I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta watch this. And I always text you when I do that because it yeah. triggers me and my head's going to explode because yeah. <laughs> the advice that is being given out and it's, it's touted at, you know, these are very polished people, right? Oh, they yell it from the mountaintops. Like it's yell from the mountaintops. You have all little acronyms next to their name. It's you like know, Moses CFP came down and... from Mount Sinai and it was written in stone tablets. That's right. I got 15. I mean, uh, 10, you... <laughs> 10 commandments. He Mel Brooks, classic, <laughs> classic Mel Brooks. Love it. <laughs> but in these people like, you know, just in the comments, just, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm maxing it out. And, and I just, oh gosh. Uh, yeah. And that was, but that was us, right? That was, that was me. Not, not too long ago. I thought yeah. that was the end all be all of financial planning was doing exactly that. And right. my gosh, it is the complete opposite of the truth. And speaking of maxing out, some people max it out so much that they run out of room in their 401k allotment by yeah. say September of the year. And then right. they miss out on three months of employer match. So okay, like, <laughs> don't do that. If you're don't doing do it that. for the employer match, make sure you don't max it out before the end of December. Divide by 12. Yeah, there you go. That's all you got to do. Well, okay. So we sp talked a lot of time about this 401k myth. Let's talk because we are all about the infinite banking concept. Uh, let's finish it up with what would be as an alternative using dividend paying whole life insurance and using the infinite banking concept. What are, what are some advantages we have doing that instead? Okay. Aside from having a massive amount of private capital that I have access to at the tip of my fingers at any time, seven days a week. Aside from that, I like the later in life and Nelson illustrates this in the book, uh, becoming your own banker written in 2000. Uh, of, ta of taking tax-free income during passive income time retirement through through the use of policy loans. Actually, he illustrates right. dividends, but you would use policy loans, right? And he says that as well. So I want to say I would use policy yeah. loans to do this. But again, I'm going to take tax-free income off my policies later in life um, at a certain level, which will enable the policy to give me the tax-free income, also enables the policy to continue growing, assuming the company's dividend experience continues to pay out. Right. Yep. So tax-free retirement. Yep. So what does tax-free mean? It means it doesn't affect any other uh, taxable income you have, like your social security. If you, if you suppress the threshold right now, it's something like $36,000, your 80% of your social security will get taxed. Right. 
Well, if your income is tax free, then you're going to get your social security tax free or, or without only very little right. of it will be That's taxed, right? right? Without yeah. that additional, that additional really penalty. I mean, you think about it, you pay tax, social security right. taxes your whole life and then they tax it when you take like, my yeah, goodness, funny. my goodness. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, I, I love that. Um, and people ask that, does it generate a 1099 when I, is this, I got a question the other day from a, from a new client. Is this, is this, you know, getting, buying this life insurance contract going to affect my, my CPA and my accounting stuff during tax time? And I'm like, no, no, it won't no. at all. Right. There's no, they don't need to there's know no anything. nothing, there's none of that. So it's right. Completely private asset. Like you, you booted the IRS out of your, out of your life. Yeah. Par at that partially point. out of your life. Right. As much as possible. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to pay it back. You take those loans, you don't have to pay them back. You can calculate, you can illustrate, hey, I wanna, I wanna take the max loan I can until I'm a hundred years old and I still want some death benefit remaining. How much can I take? And you can figure that right. out. And that by, that might be yeah. a, a moving, And then you can readjust. Yeah, adjust year to year yeah. based on company's right. experience and stuff, but it's, exactly. it, it will work. And it's what I am yeah. planning to do. Yeah, and then one of the greatest benefits is that money's not locked away till you're 59 and a half. You can access it today and take full advantage of opportunities that come up today. Whereas you got a 401k and you got a big opportunity to make some money over here. Good luck getting that money out of your 401k. You know, be able to leverage. Right. right. But that, that 401k person, you know, Paul Fugier from 2017 or whatever, I'm not looking. You're not looking for opportunities because you don't have any capital that's accessible. I don't even see, I don't, I don't see any right. of it. Right. Right. So it certainly changes your outlook on everything when you have access to capital. Uh, look, it works as a volatility buffer. Like right now is a perfect time. If you're a retiree and I've talked to some, there's a lot of retirees that have whole life insurance policies sure. and they have cash value in their life insurance policies. They just don't realize that they can actually access that cash value right now. And it's way more beneficial for them to do so than to continue taking money out of their 401k when it's down 25% year to right. date. Like folks, right. this that's is a where that, that's where that good advice comes yes. in. Dave. It's a volatility buffer. Stop taking money out of your right. 401k and go to your cash value. Start taking loans from your cash value. And when the market comes back up, go back to your 401k and even take the money out and repay your, your cash value loans and, you know, have it there to use whenever you want. If I, you want, if you I want think to go we discussed route. that in a previous episode, actually kind of sequencing the sequencing yep, of our money, sequence. right? Right. That was just a couple episodes about how to pay your premium when you're retired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then here's a great one. You're more free to spend down your assets while you're alive, that one. knowing that as soon as you die, all of that, all of that value is going to be replaced through that tax-free death benefit. Yeah. That's that you have to want to leave something though <laughs> to somebody, <laughs> Yeah, you know, assuming you're a, a decent enough person that, that wants to leave something for your heirs. And I don't um, want to bash anyone that doesn't yeah. want to do that. Cause I, I used to before, you know, I've evolved. I think it's after I had children. I was like, wait a minute, I, you know, some, you know, take the hard road, make them start at the beginning. Well, no, I want them to pick up where I left off. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? And then continue building off building right. double what that. I've done in my lifetime or triple it or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's yeah. the goal. It's not like, yeah. Kind of reminds me of i I'm reading a book on Genghis Khan when he died, he didn't just destroy the empire and say, okay, son, start over. No, he gave him where it was and, and challenged them to continue building it. Yeah, but he had like 10,000 kids. <laughs> yeah, but only a couple legitimate right. ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and that empire didn't last. Right. Anyway. Um, all right, man. Well, we've gone a little long today. 
And uh, I got to go eat dinner and get the football practice. Yeah, buddy. So, um, all right, that was good. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed that rant on the the mythical 401k millionaire. Um, they're kind of, you know, not completely mythical. They're kind of like um, unicorns. There's a couple out there, but they're not everywhere like you're led to believe. That's right. And they have no cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, it's been good catching up and we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. See y'all. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the and subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.